Sometimes you just need to soak in what you just sung about. Amen? He's a living hope. What does that mean for us today? What does that mean for us in this very moment? Jesus isn't simply the hope of the past. He's the hope of the present. And he's the hope of the future. And salvation, if you're a Christian, you were saved in the past. You're being saved right now. And you will be saved ultimately and finally in the future. That's the living hope Jesus provides for us. So let's come before the Lord and ask him to do what only he can do in our hearts and minds right now. Father God, we come before you and um, Lord, I, I just thank you for the privilege that we get every week to get into your word, that we get to sing about your word and that we get to sing and get caught up in singing about the living hope, Lord, that, that there's salvation in your name, Lord, that, that you are a conquering king, that you rose from the dead, that, Lord, that you paid for our sins, that you were forsaken so we could be forgiven, and that you offer hope to anybody who's still fast bound in their sins right now as we are praying to you, Lord, right now. Father, I pray that the living hope of Jesus would break on us afresh today. And maybe even for somebody in here today for the first time, that the hope of Jesus would become a reality, that the hope of the rescue of the gospel would become a reality, and that as we continue on in our study of the armor of God, Lord, that this would not just be about more information, but that it would be life-giving truth that we lay hold of and that impacts our life and that is like the, the anchor of our souls. So, Father, help us now. Breathe a word through your spirit that we might get encouragement and help in a time of need. In Jesus' name, amen. So these past several weeks, and it's months at this point, right? <laughs> We've been thinking about, learning about just what it means to be a Christian, right, and, and, and understand that the Christian's warfare is about standing against the forces of darkness, against a real devil, and against a real army of darkness, and also that, that we're being strengthened in the power of God. That it's not about our strength, but it's about the strength of God. And so... All through these past several weeks, we've been learning, like, what does that look like, right? And Ephesians 6 has been laying hold of us and helping us see and orienting our hearts towards the reality that what it looks like to be standing against the forces of darkness as a Christian and strengthened in the power of the might of God is to take up the full armor of God every single peace. So why have I taken, you know, these, these lengths to go through it? Because it's so vital and it's so important and it's just right there in the word of God, right? As you see it like laid out in the first uh, few verses, uh, uh, Ephesians 6, 10 to 13, 
Look at it right now, just so we can remind ourselves. Verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, this is what we're up against. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then verse 13 gives us this summary statement from the Apostle Paul where he says, Therefore, in light of that, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Like this is, this is God speaking to us. This is God talking to you right now and telling you through his word that the way you deal in a dark day, the way you withstand in the evil day in which we live, and as you see darkness encroaching all around you, maybe you see darkness in your own family, maybe you see darkness even present in your own heart as you wrestle against sin, we're told that we are to stand firm by taking up the full armor of God. And so we, we like looked at that um, all through these past weeks and, and we're like, yeah, we need to take up, right, the belt of truth. We got to fasten it upon our waist. We've got to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We've got to guard our hearts. Satan goes for the heart. We've got to put on the shoes that are going to make us ready to share the gospel of peace and to give us inner peace. And then we've got to take up the shield of faith because all these fiery darts are being fired at us and the onslaught of arrows are coming and the shield of faith and our trust in who God is and his faithfulness to accomplish and to work through his promises to deal with darts that come at your life. And then we get this morning to the final and fifth piece of defensive armor, right? Because the sword of the spirit is is offense, right? And so is prayer. So the last thing we're going to look at is the helmet of salvation. And that's the last defensive piece that is laid on us by the Apostle Paul to help us navigate the spiritual battles of life. So he's, he's just wanting to orient your soul right now. Like, like if you don't have any idea about what it means to put on these pieces of armor, if you don't have any idea about what it means to stand strong in the Lord, this is the very witness of Scripture to us, to help us. So my, my heart today is that, this, that, that, that we're going to get yet another piece of rock, solid rock to stand on, to have solidity under our feet in a... In a world where everything is just shifting sands, right? There are so many things changing in our world. There are so many values that are being tossed out 
and new ones being brought in that it's like shifting sand and, and, and it's happening so quickly right before our eyes that it's almost amazing to think about. So, so what are we going to do to orient our souls here? And Paul says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And today in particular, I want us to think about the darts of doubt that can come into the lives of genuine believers. Doubts about your salvation. Because one of the main and principal ways that the enemy attacks us, one of the ways that the devil's going to come at you if you're a believer and you're seeking to be faithful, is he's going to be able to, he's going to be seeking to chip away Chip, 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 whack, whack, whack at your assurance of salvation. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. The devil doesn't want you to have any of that. He wants to snatch every one of those things from your heart. And get you just thinking, you know what? Look at how lousy you've been lately as a Christian. You probably aren't even saved. Oh yeah, you love Jesus, but maybe you're not a Christian at all. Maybe you just appreciate Jesus, right? So what I want to do today is I want to give you encouragement as believers and perhaps there's others here who, who think they're saved, have no love for Jesus, and are just living in darkness. And they need to experience the right condemnation they have before God. So that they'll wake up and come to their senses and run to this great living hope that we have in Christ, right? There's no sense in, in pretending that we're Christians. We need the genuine reality breaking forth in our hearts and, and, and the spirit of God in our lives, right? None of this, this Ephesians 6 business is possible if the Holy Spirit is not in your life. Because every Christian has been given the Holy Spirit so that these truths might become living realities, daily realities in your heart. So how does the devil come at you? How's he coming at you this morning? How's he been coming at you over these past weeks and months? Maybe it's been years that he's been chipping away at your confidence in the Lord, at your confidence that you belong to the Lord, at your confidence that you really are the real deal. Not because of how great you are, but because of how great Christ is. And we see this stuff in scripture, right? Like this isn't just like there's real pictures of this. What did Jesus say to Peter? He was the apostle, Peter. He's the one who had the great confession, right? Who do people say that I am, Peter? You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And a few moments later, Jesus is going to say, but Satan's come to sift you. He's asked for you. 
And I prayed for you, Peter, so that your faith won't fail. But it does not mean you will not be sifted. It doesn't mean those fiery darts of doubt won't come. And you know Peter's story, right? He's all kinds of bold, cutting people's ear off, right? All of a sudden, he begins to get scared. He begins to get frightened. He begins to fear men more than the living God. And by the end of those moments where Jesus is being brought off, imprisoned, and headed for a mock trial, Peter denies the Lord three times. And I, I could just imagine the devil whispering to Peter, Oh, look, what you, you thought you loved Jesus. You denied him three times. You don't love Jesus. You're not a Christian. None of this is real. You better close the shop. Go be a fisherman because this is all for the birds. Have you been hit with that? Have you been hit with those kind of accusing thoughts? Have you had that kind of Peter moment? Have you been discouraged? If you're honest, right? I mean, we're in church, right? Can, if we're honest, I've struggled. Perhaps you're saying with the reality that I'm really saved. And Paul wants nothing more than to help us so deeply take up this helmet of salvation. He's like, you can't stand against the devil without it. No soldier on the battlefield who does not feel secure in his commander in chief, who doesn't feel like he belongs, is going to do anything in the war. Right? So that's why the devil is so adamant to come at every single one of you in Christ to chip away at your assurance. Is this thing real? And God has a word for you today. And it's not only in Ephesians 6. Paul says it other places like 1 Thessalonians 5.8. He says, but since we belong to the day. Right? We belong in the light. We belong to the day. Let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. It's like, what do you need? It's at the end of his letter. What do you need, Christian? You need the helmet that is the hope of salvation. Where is your hope this morning? Is it a living hope? Is it a confident hope? Is it a robust hope? Is it a secure hope? Or is it the ever-shifting sands of how you feel like you might be doing just today in the Christian life? Or is it Jesus? Is it the rock? Right? So let's see it in our text now. This is not out of thin air. Verse 14, Paul says, stand, therefore. And that's an important uh, point that launches these next few verses where Paul's saying stand therefore and then he's saying stand in all of these things stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness 
And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, and in all circumstances take up the shield of faith, which is able to quench or extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. And then, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. Are you struggling with assurance today? And if you've been a Christian long enough, you will have struggled with assurance at times. If it happened to Peter, it can happen to you, right? So when we look at verse 17, the first question we're asking ourselves is, what is the helmet of salvation, right? It's nice in theory to talk about the helmet of salvation, but what is it, right? We want to take it out of the cloud and we want to bring it into practical realities. Like, what is Paul talking about when he says, take the helmet of salvation? Well, once again, he's, he's pointing us to the armor of a Roman soldier. He's pointing us to the helmet that the Roman soldiers would take up that would protect them and protect their heads from any blunt blows or any projectiles that would hit them. And they'd usually be made of iron or bronze. They would be made of a hard metal and they'd be lined with some kind of soft fabric, perhaps leather or a spongy substance. And then they'd have leather straps to hold them on. And the way that the, the, the soldier worked is if he had his helmet off, he wasn't fighting. If he had his helmet on, he was fighting. You don't run out into the battle without the helmet on, right? That's exactly what Paul wants us to see. I'm reminded of that opening scene to Saving Private Ryan. If any of you have seen that, it's the opening scene is the battle at Omaha Beach, D-Day, and the United States and many other allied uh, forces were storming Omaha Beach, and there's just an incredible amount of machine gun fire going from the German ranks and bunkers and, and coming at the shoreline as these soldiers are coming in, right? And these soldiers are getting out. And there's just bullets spraying and whizzing everywhere. And, 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 and the screen kind of gets this slow motion, sort of like euphoric dizziness. Because that's what you would feel as these bullets are whizzing by, right? And one of the soldiers gets struck in the helmet. And he gets a little bit rattled by it. Takes his helmet off to see what happened. And as soon as he does that, another bullet kills him, strikes him right in the head because he took the helmet off. And so there's just this idea here that Paul's saying, like, do not leave home without the helmet of salvation. Don't get up. Go about your business, run out to work. Run about all busy and forget who you are. Forget what it means to be saved. Forget the helmet of salvation. Sometimes we struggle 
It's like, why am I not being used of God more? Like, like why? Like, like I'm seeing people do this ministry, and it's like, oh, I want that. I, I, I want that. I, I desire it. And yet, oftentimes we find ourselves maybe lazy, apathetic, or feeling like I've just got too, mother, too much other stuff to do. And brothers and sisters, I just want to be very clear. Like, you will not do much for Jesus, and you will not fight and endure in the fight without the helmet of salvation. That's why verse 17 says, and take the helmet of salvation. That word take is not the same word that's been used earlier. This verb is, it has a bigger range of meaning that Paul is laying on us. He, it's an imperative. It's, it's saying take it up, but that word take actually means take into one's hands, right? Grasp it. Like, grasp this helmet and get it on. Lay hold of it. And I love that image, grasping the helmet of salvation. And I hope you think about it. Like, that's what I need to do every day. I need to grasp this helmet of salvation. I need to grasp it. I need to lay hold of King Jesus. I need to lay hold of the salvation he provides. I need to lay hold to all that it means to be a Christian and all that it means to be a blood-bought child of God who's born again, who's headed for heaven, who has a real redemption. I need that. I don't want any substitutes. I want that. But this word also has... Another meaning, because the word take can also mean receive, or to receive by hearing, right, or by learning. So then when you start thinking about that, it's like, oh, ooh, okay. So I'm receiving the helmet of salvation by hearing and learning about it. Is it any wonder that Paul's instructing the Ephesians on this very matter? Is there any wonder that it shows up other places in the Bible? Right? Like Paul is trying to orient us. It shows up in the Old Testament. And the one wearing the helmet of salvation in Isaiah 59, 17 is King Jesus, the Messiah. Right? Jesus wore this helmet. Jesus provides this helmet. Jesus is this helmet. And so the more we learn about what it means to be saved, what it means to have salvation, past, present, future, right? The Bible talks about your salvation in past tense. You were justified in Christ, forgiven of all your sins. You're being sanctified and you will one day be glorified. You were saved, you are saved, and you will be fully saved. Do you see it? That's all through Paul's writings. It's all through the book of Ephesians. And so when, when we kind of like get this imagery of a helmet, we've got to remember just the Wonderful, spectacular promises that are for Christians. Ugh. 
Beloved, when you actually realize what's happened to you as a Christian, it should just stagger you. That's why we get whiffs of it. Like you're, you're in worship, you're singing about it, you're, 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 you're rejoicing in it. And all of a sudden you're, you're crying. I was just weeping today as I'm singing those songs. I'm like, I'm like, that's true. Like it's true of me. It's true of you. It's true of anybody in Christ. That's my Savior. That's my Lord. That's my King. This is my story. This is my song. That's what Fanny Crosby was talking about when she said, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, right? So the first time we see this in Ephesians, we see the word salvation show up. And I think we get some help from just the context of Ephesians to help us get at, like, how is Paul fleshing this out a little bit? Roman, or uh, sorry, Ephesians 113 is the first mention of salvation. Look with me, and it'll be on the screen. Um, and if not, just as a few pages to your left. Paul says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your, what? Salvation. And you believed in him, Jesus. You were sealed with the promise Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Oh, that's awesome. He's talking about past and future salvation. It's like the whole, you want to know how you know you're saved? Because the Holy Spirit's a down payment. God's going to make good on salvation. What he began, he will complete. That's what Paul says all over the place. Right? Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, that's the word of God, right? We're not just spinning eternal security out of the thin air. This is the word of God to you. God will make good on it. Yeah, 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 but, but I'm fumbleida on the Christian life. I'm fumbling the ball all over the place. But God will finish the work he has begun in you. So what does it mean, right, that you've been saved? Well, these first couple of verses say you have an inheritance. And if you've got an inheritance, you've been adopted into the family of God. And every right of, and privilege of being a part of the family of God is yours. And now he says the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you to be a guarantee that God will make good on it. That's Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 and 14, right? So this is the encouragement Paul provides. He's like, you know what? When your heart is doubting, I want you to go here. I want you to land here. I want you to think about just who you are. Just what you've been saved from, right? Then you just go to chapter 2 of Ephesians and he starts fleshing it out more. You want to see what you were saved from and how you were saved and how that salvation was appropriated or brought into your life? Well, that's what Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 10 is all about, right? Paul looks at what we're saved from. So look with me at Ephesians 2 and verse 1. This is who we were as Christians before we were Christians. And you were dead 
in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were spiritually dead, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? It's the devil. And the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom you, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So what's the short report card there? Right? Dead in sin, following the devil, living for our passions, living without regard of God, and we are children of wrath by nature like the rest of mankind. That is an ugly picture of who we were. But, oh, how glorious salvation is, right? That's what you were saved from. And that's what he says in verse 4. He's like, okay, remember who you were? Remember what it looked like to be lost and on your way to hell? Remember what it looked like to be dead spiritually? Making no movement towards God? And then verse 4, Paul tells us, in perhaps one of the greatest verses in all the letter, in all the Bible, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Beloved, do you see what's happened to you? Like, but God, you are a mess, but God, because of his great love for you, made you alive in Christ Jesus. Right? He made you alive in Christ Jesus. You were dead, but you were made alive. By grace, you have been saved. You didn't deserve it. You didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't do anything uh, to merit it. But it was freely given to you by a loving God. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he raised us up with him, verse 6, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that, right, at the coming, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He's putting on display the riches of his grace in saving somebody like me and like you. As ugly as we were, as lost as we were, his love overcomes it. His love sent his son to redeem you and to resurrect you from a state of being spiritually dead and make you alive and make you love the things of Jesus. That's what salvation does. And it shows the riches of his grace in Christ. You've got life in Christ. You've got the kindness of God breaking over you. And then Paul goes and he goes a step further and he tells us, well, how'd you get it? How'd you lay hold of this? Verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not the result of works. So that no one may boast. You're going to do this on your own? You're going to make yourself, if you're dead, come alive? No, it's by grace through faith in Christ that you were born again. It's by grace through faith in Christ, in his death on a cross, in his resurrection out of the grave, that God made you alive. And it's a forever salvation. And all the blessings we've talked about already are yours. 
and you've received it by faith. And verse 10 says, we were created in his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. It gets even better. So you're saved from being lost to live out the good works that God has prepared for you. It's already been prepared for you to step out and walk in. But brothers and sisters, that's what it means to take up the helmet of salvation. When you lay hold of all of these truths, when you're, when you're soaking them in, when you're, when you're laying hold of what Jesus has done for you, it makes you want to live for him. And he's already planned it. And you need to walk in it by faith. By faith and not by sight. But he's shown it to you if you have eyes to see. If you have the eyes of faith, perhaps you're not a believer in here today or you feel like I might not be. Well, Paul just laid out to you the way you can be rescued. Jesus is a great enough savior to deal with anybody's sin. Doesn't matter how far gone you are. And when you experience the sweet redemption of Jesus, it will change your life forever and ever and ever. And that's what happens when the helmet of salvation gets grasped. You start realizing just who Jesus is and just what he's done. So we've seen the need for the helmet of salvation. We've seen what the helmet of salvation is. So how do we make use of this in the Christian life, right? Like, like in the nitty-gritty reality of everyday living that you are going to live, how do you use this? And perhaps it's become apparent to some of you already. But the first thing we need to do is stop. Stop and remember what is true about who you are as a blood-bought, redeemed child of God? Like, do you know what it means to be in the family of God? Have you really savored the blessing that God pleads with you? And he says, come to the throne of grace and receive help and mercy in a time of need. Are you struggling with the weariness of the battle that's going on and on and on? Stop what you're doing and remember who you are. And then come to your father. And watch him deal in the very thing that you're struggling with. But oftentimes the devil just wants to make us so busy that we don't stop and remember who we are. That's why Romans 8 was written, so you'd stop and remember. Romans 8 is like a commentary on the armor of God. If you can think about it like that, Romans 8, 15 says just what I've been saying to you for the first half of the message, right? For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, and what does the Spirit do? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're a child of God. The Holy Spirit not only is a guarantee that God will finish the work he began in you, 
but it's a constant, or he, the spirit is a he, a real person, the third person of the Trinity, he will tell you, he will bear witness to your soul that you're God's. And there's nothing like it. And oftentimes that's what's happening in worship. As we come together, as we gather, as we sing these songs, as we treasure Jesus, as we adore the gospel, as we lift up Christ. And the Spirit is bearing witness with your spirit. He's mine. You're mine, Jesus says through his Spirit. And everything I have, I give to you. And one day you're going to inherit it all. One day you're going to inherit the earth. And everything that I have planned for the people of God. And the best is yet to come. So, stop and remember who you are. But perhaps the next thing that we need to think about, right? The next piece of rock that we can stand on as we think about the helmet of salvation. Is that we have a rock solid hope in our future salvation when the plans of God will be consummated. Like God's going to finish the work. God is going to complete. One day Jesus is coming back. And he's going to judge the world in righteousness. He's going to gather his bride. He's going to resurrect his people. He's going to bring glory into this world. And every blade of grass will stand. Praising the sons and daughters of God. As they are glorified. And the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Smithfield will be swallowed up by the glory of God. And it will be something so glorious that you have never seen anything like it. And we're tempted. We're tempted. Just, Lord, come now so I get there now. Right? But it's coming one day. It's a certainty. And that's why Paul speaks in 1 Thessalonians 5.8. Of the helmet that is the hope of salvation. And for the helmet, for a helmet, take up the hope of salvation. Hope is something you look forward to. But it's not, this is a certain hope. That word hope is a certainty. It's not like, oh, when I wish upon a star. You know that business? Is that how it goes? I think so. Um, That's not... This is disnified. This is Jesus. This is concrete. This is true. This is going to happen. Bank on it. Right? Jesus signed, sealed, and delivered this reality in his blood. And it's paid in full. And Jesus will come back and set up his kingdom. And all his people will be glorified one day. That's encouraging. That's hope-giving. That's life-giving. Perhaps we have time for one more. Well, sometimes, right, we begin to doubt our salvation because of the presence of sin in our life, right? Somewhere along the line, we believe the lie that, like, you get saved and all of a sudden you don't sin anymore, right? Right? Maybe the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel says that. Maybe Mary Baker Eddy and Christian science says that. But that's not what Jesus said, right? That's not what the Bible teaches, right? Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer to ask 
for daily forgiveness of your sins, to keep short account. Like, why is Jesus going to talk like that if you're not going to struggle with sin? So the first thing to diffuse the dart of doubt when it comes to your salvation and you're looking at your life and you're like, gosh, I'm, I'm struggling with this. And I keep struggling with it. Is Jesus said, well, you ask forgiveness every day. You keep short accounts with God. And that's encouraging. But I want to say something even more than that, that I think the helmet of salvation implies. You might be a great sinner, right? But Jesus is an even greater Savior. You are a great sinner, but he's a greater Savior. And his grace is greater than all of your sin. That's the truth. And that's why the Apostle John had encouragement for us, because he thought of this reality. He's like, you might sin, but guess what? You got an advocate, right? First John 2.1. This is the beloved John saying, my little children, he's just a good pastor. He just loves the family of God. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, right? We got to fight sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And guess what? He was the propitiation or the wrath-bearing substitute for your sins and for the sins of all who will believe. And so you bear the shame no more. Make it relationally right. Come, confess your sin, pray, seek the Lord. But you need to know, Jesus can deal with it. He is your everlasting, eternal lawyer. All right? And, and, and listen, he paid for it. So it's legit, right? The justice of God has been met, and he justifies you by faith in him. So, we've seen, right? Exactly what it looks like to need the helmet of salvation. We've seen what the helmet of salvation is, and we've seen how to apply it. And I was just thinking today, as we close, like I was reading the Gospel of Luke today, and I was so moved by Jesus' crucifixion account. And that in the middle, embedded in all of that, you come to a place where Jesus is crucified between two criminals. And you read in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23 and verse 39, just listen. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you the, not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other one rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly. For we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus. Jesus. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me, Lord. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be 
with me in paradise. And at that very moment, when he cried out, Lord, remember me, he was trusting in Jesus. He knew he was a sinner. He knew his need. He knew his great need before King Jesus. And he reached out to Jesus and he said, Lord, remember me. And at that very moment, Jesus handed him the helmet of salvation. He said, today, today you'll be with me in paradise. My dear friends, if you're a Christian, that's true of you. And listen, if you're not, and you're sensing your great need today, come to Jesus for rescue. They were criminals sentenced to death, and Jesus gave one of them life. And all he did was admit his need and take the empty hand of faith and lay hold of Jesus. And he was redeemed. Don't delay another day. Come to Jesus now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great faithfulness. We thank you for this text. We thank you for the promises of God and the helmet of salvation. And we are just reminded that we need this, Lord. We need these truths to live the Christian life and get the help as the darts of doubt come our way. And Father, perhaps somebody here today, maybe several, need to come like this thief on the cross. They say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm trusting you to save me. And Father, that you would work that even now in their heart, that they'd be crying out. And through this next song, that they would be coming to you, perhaps for the first time, and may all of the lies of Satan just fall to the ground, and may they sense like it's time to come now to Jesus, and what a glorious salvation he provides. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.